You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. Gotta put my big old podcasting pants on. Me too. Which is funny. It's ironic because I'm not wearing any pants. <laughs> yeah, where are you gonna you gonna find your podcasting pants? I'm just gonna should be around there somewhere. Wear them on my head or something like that. <laughs> oh man, gotta step up. Step yep. up to the plate. Yep. Baseball references. Baseball Sheesh. references. And sip on my gin and feel alive. That's what we like to do. Gonna, <laughs> is to feel alive. Try to, I'm not really good at it. Oh damn. But yeah. Yeah, Kayla's not feeling well today. Nah, man. When am I ever, though? I mean, sometimes am you I feel ever? pretty good. Yeah, sometimes I feel better than others. Sometimes. This is one of the uh, others. <laughs> this is one of the others, yeah. So I'm going to try to whew, have fun for everybody. Y'all know I have my health so, issues, and they just don't yeah. seem to be stopping. So we are plowing forward anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we were just saying, this is why we have this podcast, because... Life sucks. Life sucks. Life is hard. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Gary really understands that because that's kind of the whole point of this episode, Mm -hmm. as we'll find out. Gary knows best. My name's Christian. Yours is Christian. Mm -hmm. Mine is Mm Kaylin. And this is That's Pretty Dark. Mm. Today is a special episode, though. It sure is. This is season one, episode 13 of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. Mm -hmm. And that means... This is the end of season one. It's pretty crazy. It's, pretty it's also our 40th episode, I think. It is our 40th. Oh, this it's is our 40th 40. episode, and this is 40. And this is mm-hmm. the last uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark in season one. The conclusion to our first ever season bench. Crazy. It's pretty exciting. It is. It's sad, though. I'm kind of sad. I mean, it. it feels like yesterday that we started to me, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I might be the only one that feels that way. But... No, it feels that way to me, too. Well, let's jump right in, shall we? I'm ready. I'm excited. Let's do it. Episode 13. This episode aired on November 14th, 1992, and that is a unanimous date between IMDb and the wiki Nice. Page. Finally, for once they agree. The IMDb summary is, <laughs> Ross, a mischievous kid, goes to the mall where his old habits sometimes get the best of him. Oh. It sounds it sounds like he's a shoplifter. Like sounds like me. <laughs> where he just has like a great day shopping. He just goes around. I don't think I have very good mall habits. I mean, I don't shoplift, but like I don't like the mall. I'm not good at the mall. Yeah, I don't think I have any mall habits. <laughs> not Maybe very I enough. used to when I was younger. We all did back in the day. Back in the day. So for my summary, I thought I would um, show up the IMDb summary by doing almost the exact same summary, but <laughs> in an accurate way that actually gives some information. That's usually what we try to go for. Ross, a latchkey kid, plays a game of pinball that turns out to be real. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong, I guess. I mean, you know. It's a sentence, but it's an accurate sentence. But just as simple, just as sweet. Do you know the whole time, so the kid's name, the main kid in this episode, his name is Ross. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking of Ross Hull, who plays Gary. Exactly. Yes. That was Ross is Gary's real name. Yeah. This episode was written by Louise Lamar. And Tom Rack, this is what Louise is most known for. Mm-hmm. And Tom Rack has actually had a career as an actor instead of a writer. Oh. So he played the Watcher in The Tale of Watcher's Woods. Very popular episode. And he also played two characters in this episode. Wow. Do you know which ones? I think I do, but I'll let you tell me. Okay. <laughs> 
He played the sheriff and the security guard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One and the same. One of the same. They're parallel characters. We'll get into that some more. But I thought was also worth mentioning. He provided his voice for Country Mouse and City Mouse Adventures. And he was once a contestant on Jeopardy! No way. In 1993. (laughs) I like when they have stuff like that listed. He walked away with something like 18 grand. Dang. Something crazy like that. And my screenwriting professor in college was also on Jeopardy. Really? Yeah. I don't think you've told me that. It was cool. I want to go on Jeopardy. I would do so badly, though. I feel like I know stuff. It's like the classic thing. I know stuff when I'm sitting at my house. But if you put me on a stage, I would be totally just blank. Mm -mm. No, I don't know anything. I might do okay if it was like Harry Potter themed Jeopardy, (laughs) maybe. But that's about it. This episode was directed by our man, DJ McHale. That's our man. Apparently, this was a very difficult episode to film. And it took longer than planned, hmm. um, which might explain a lot of the details and rules of the world sort of being tossed around all harem scarum, not really making a whole bunch of sense because it just kind of had to get done yeah. one way or the other. I, I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Production yeah. schedules, man. Production had to ask the crew to work an extra day to finish the episode. And that's not really a big deal. That's pretty standard. It happens all the time. I've been part of that. Mm-hmm. But the IMDb trivia claims that the crew broke union rules because DJ was like begging them to finish the episode Mm. and come in for this extra day. But it doesn't really happen like that. No. It's very formal. Production goes around and they ask all of the department heads, will you and your team work Saturday? Mm -hmm. And either you say, yeah, we will or no, we can't. And when you do, you make overtime the whole day. Yeah. So you have that choice between getting your Saturday or making twice as much money. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought it was weird that they were like, it was so dramatic how they described it. Right. I mean, it's I'm sure it's not how every episode went. So for it to be out of out of the norm, maybe it was worth noting. Maybe, that yeah. That kind of thing. Perhaps. And like we said, not only is this the final episode in season one, but this is also Eric's last episode. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. sad. I he thought about that back. when I was watching it. And I was like, oh, bye, Eric. Bye, bye. I don't see you anymore. And according to IMDb trivia again. DJ didn't really think the audiences would care very much about the Midnight Society characters, so he didn't feel the need to explain his absence, uh, to like write him out of the story. But after the show aired, he like instantly knew it was a mistake because people loved Aww. the Midnight Society. So yeah. he decided to, going forward, always address the uh, comings and goings of other characters. Which is, I think is important. It is important. It's just so sad. Yeah. Eric no, just, no goodbye. Mm-mm. No acknowledgement. So here's my disclaimer for this episode. Okay. There are a lot of nuanced things. It's very complex and crazy and chaotic. It's as another episode like Jake and the Leprechaun, where it's a story inside of a story inside of a mm-hmm. story. Storyception. Except the deepest level here isn't a stage play, but the intricate elements of the story that makes up a pinball game. Uh-huh. And the specifics of the gameplay are intentionally disorienting. So that younger audiences would feel the same confusion and dread that Ross feels. Like, the objects of the game are totally unattainable. The goals are unachievable. Which, I get that feeling now, but (laughs) I kind of see where all the chaos lives. Mm -hmm. Versus just the, whoa, this is a crazy game he's playing. I know. So to avoid going beat for beat, we're going to break down the themes and the characters and the elements of this episode and how they all relate to each other. Nice. But in really no particular order. So go watch the episode if you haven't, or watch it after this. Yeah, you'll get a pretty good feel. on Paramount for what Plus. Happens, but I just, it would have been a whole lot of like, and then this and happens. Then they walked here, and then and they, then this they ran away. <laughs> yeah. And then when it's that tough. happens, this happens, but they couldn't do that thing. 
because this happens. <laughs> this episode gave me serious nightmares. Wow. As a kid. This is the first one I can remember watching again now going, holy shit, I dreamt about this. Oh my God. But Ross finding himself alone in the dark shopping mall. Yeah. With all kinds of frightening characters lurking in the shadows, popping out. This one left a big impression on me. I'm going to get into the specific moments that I had dreams about as a kid. Okay. But I had them multiple times and often and wow. deeply. Empty shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dang. And watching this again, even now, I felt those same familiar tiny little quivers of sickening mm-hmm. fear and dread that I used to feel as a kid. That's why we're here. A hundred percent. They kind of go into the, the virtues and the pitfalls of video games. And mm-hmm. this is at such an early point in the conversation. It's fascinating to me because things have changed yeah. so much now. And I mean, over the years, I'm sure we'll talk about it. I don't mean to step on your toes. I'm sure no, you've you're got good, stuff yeah. to say. But over the years, I feel like, you know, video games were kind of vilified for a long time. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. And even even today, a lot of people say that they're responsible for violence, like inciting violence or yeah. uh, all these things and violent games. And this is, you know, it's melting your kid's brain and all this stuff, yada, yada. But while I guess gratuitous violence for like a six-year-old kid, I personally probably wouldn't let my six-year-old, if I had a six-year-old, play, you know, something super violent. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, so I work in and around engineers And recently, they've been talking about the interns, like at an intern level that are coming in to help us at high school and college levels. And they're talking about how much faster they can orient themselves in a 3D environment. Mm -hmm. Like they already have all this experience in terms of navigating 3D on a computer or in like a uh, those types of software that are needed for engineering. And they are saying, let your kids play video games. Let your kids play all the video games. I agree. Because it's teaching them those skills that people coming into engineering for the last, you know, several decades have not had. And even we didn't to to the same extent that kids now have that experience. So I was, and when I heard an engineer say that, I was like, that makes a lot of sense, actually. That's wild. You know, they already know how to operate in that space Mm -hmm. um, in ways that I don't even. I I complain all the time. Like, if I'm going to play a video game, I need the camera to move for me. I don't like video games where I have to move the camera and the character. (laughs) That already starts to break my brain. Oh, yeah. And and that's, you know, that's been around for a long time. Yeah. But it just was interesting to me, like, the benefits that we're seeing. And, I'm, I'm, you know, we can't say one way or the other. Video games are great for you, but I can say anecdotally that I've heard that and it's pretty cool. I think they are. I think they are for a lot of reasons. I think problem solving and... It's really good for eye-hand coordination too. Yeah, that too, for sure. So I call the beginning of this episode the Game Boy intro. Love it. Everybody's super enthusiastic about oh, this Game Boy. I miss my Game Boy. <sighs> Ooh, I have mine. Oh, you have it? You literally have it. I don't have mine. I have no idea where mine went. Hey, that's like the original, original. Is that even a Game Boy Color? I'm back. What? Is that even a Game Boy Color? No, this is the original 8-bit yeah. Game Boy. Yeah, that's the original. Oops. The, See, my Game, I had Boy a Game Boy Color was color. like purple. Mine was too. I had a purple Game Boy Color. Yeah. Love it. So to uh, give us an idea of where the world was when this episode aired, Nintendo released the 8-bit Game Boy in 1989. Which often came bundled with the game Tetris. Yes. Which I thought was yes. a lot of fun. I got Tetris with my Game which Boy. I had Tetris too. And I was always like, why didn't we buy this game? I like it, but <laughs> I can't imagine. I just didn't know where it came from. That was the was first game young. I ever played on my little purple Game Boy Color. This handheld device pioneered handheld gameplay, which has resulted in many upgrades and improvements over the years, going from the 8-bit to the 16-bit. 
and so on and so forth. And this may very well be why like the first cell phones had games on them because they just handheld games on... kind of revolutionized everything. Yeah. You know, you weren't yeah. tied to your TV. Right. Yeah. You didn't have anymore. to go to an arcade. You got to be mobile. I saw a really cool uh, retro ad for a Game Boy the other day on one of the Instagram accounts we follow that had like all of the gear, you know, it was oh, like yeah, the case, the, the case that had the extra, like extra battery for charging and all mm-hmm. the places to put the game <laughs> cartridges, but it was like clunky and humongous, you oh, know, the peak hard-sided of case. And this kid was like, you know, it looks like he's got, he's wearing this giant, you know, it's not even a bag. It's a hard-sided case yeah. and he's got his Game Boy and he's got his light on his head or whatever he's got. And, and the ad is like, you know, don't be tied down anymore. And I'm like, nothing looks more tied down than that. That's to, so to funny. my 2022 oh self. Oh my God, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Man, those are the days. I do miss it. The Game Boy, the 8-bit Game Boy was created at the very early stages of this console war between Nintendo and Sega. Yes. Uh, that war didn't really get started until 1991 mm-hmm. when Sega released Sonic the Hedgehog Yep. Uh, for the Sega Genesis. And Nintendo released the 16-bit Super Nintendo. I didn't ever have Sega. I played Sega at other people's houses, but I had the Nintendo because my dad had it to play Duck Hunt and oh, man, all I love those Duck games. Hunt. My first console was the 64. Man, that was the one that I would say was my first one that like belonged to me. Right. Because the Super right. Nintendo definitely was probably more my dad's than mine. Yeah. But I want to save the bulk of the history of video games for when we inevitably do like a Mortal Kombat episode or sure. something yeah, we'll, to that we'll effect. We'll do an episode on a video game and I'm sure Eventually. that'll make sense. And um, the store where Ross goes to play pinball is not an arcade. So no. I'm going to save all that stuff for later. Good point. But I thought it was worth mentioning here because this episode would have come out really at the height of this console war when like Nintendo and Sega were going at it and everybody kind of had one or the other or both. And video game culture was exploding. Mm -hmm. Of course, not to mention how popular arcades had been since the early 70s. Yeah, it was bringing the arcade to your house, essentially. But the important plot details we get in this opening narration with the Midnight Society... Well, David's on, trying to get the key. I've almost got the key. Whatever just, the key is. They're just, talking about getting the key. And then Eric walks up and, and presses the reset button. Hey, hey, what's this button do? It resets the game. But the original Game Boy doesn't have a reset button. Yeah, that's true. Excellent. You get the key yet? No, I may never get it. They just needed this concept to exist for Gary to sell the haunting undertone of this episode. Mm-hmm. And we have Kristen, who is not impressed And she has to say the line, it's not even like it matters if you win or lose. Mm -hmm. Kristen's right. When you play a game like this, it really doesn't matter whether you win or lose. Because all you have to do is press reset. (laughs) And you get a new game. And another chance. But what if it really did count? Imagine if you had to beat the game. Or the game is going to beat you. Mm -hmm. And there were no resets. No replays and no second chances. Trust me, I've put myself in that position. <laughs> right. We've all seen Spy Kids Game Over, have we not? <laughs> I don't think I have, actually. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of, you know, you have this many lives in a game. I don't know. It it kind of freaks me out because you have the idea that you lose all these lives, then you're done. And applying that to real life <laughs> mm-hmm. as a human is very, very terrifying. Right. Like, it's super scary. So this is a classic trope. 
the game is real. Mm -hmm. This is another fictional scenario that's just an analogy for how scary or difficult being alive actually is. Mm -hmm. You know, if you screw up here, you got to make up for it. Right. There's no starting this level over again. There's no second chances. If you die in the game of life, you die for real. Mm Mm-hmm. It often feels like the world or the universe is playing against us. Mm, yes. And like subconsciously, <laughs> we feel like if we can just do things the right way, it'll work out. Mm-hmm. Like we will succeed at something. Mm-hmm. And if we work hard, we will, as the kids say, level up. Mm-hmm. So like game symbolism has permeated our culture. Definitely. Our philosophy, our lexicon. I don't even know. It, it has affected our psyche just as much as film and television have. Yeah. If not more so because... In, with a video game, you're an active participant. You know, it's it's a less passive activity. So you're absorbing all of that information. You're absorbing all of those, all the tasks and all the the wins and the losses. You're kind of taking them for yourself in a way that we don't always do with TV or film. Right. So right. it's more ingrained in to your personality because this is something that you've done, you've achieved, or you haven't, I guess. Mm-hmm. Have you ever in life, especially when I was younger, I know I did this, you had the urge to like save the game. Yeah. Like when something good happened to you, I I would even say it to my parents. I'd be like, I wish I could save the game right Mm -hmm. now. You know, like I would have a birthday party. I vividly remember like after a birthday party or something, I got like a gift that I really liked or I want, you know, I was excited about. Yeah. And I had that urge where I was like, I need to save the game. I don't want to lose this. You know, and I I do the same thing in in dreams too, where if I'm dreaming and something good happens, I have that urge to to like save this, keep this, you know, right? Somehow <laughs> download it somewhere where I'm not going to lose all the progress that I made. Yeah, uh, and I think that's part of my ADHD too. But I have a very hard time, like, if I have to repeat myself or if I like die at the very end of something, like a long, drawn out storyline in a game, and I die, mm. I have absolutely no motivation to go back to the beginning because I'd have to re- like repeat myself and do it all over again. Oh yeah, and my attention span does not like that. <laughs> I don't like to have to repeat things. <laughs> So that I feel like also kind of, I don't know that it comes from video games, but video games enhance that. Yeah. Well, see, I was thinking specifically about regret mm-hmm. and wishing you could do something yep. over again. If I could just start over, if I could just, oh, and you, I've if lived I could go my back, life. I would do things so differently. Absolutely. If I could just start this level over. Yeah. See, I don't know if it comes from that kind it of thing. It very well could. And it, it entered our psyche at such a young age too. Yeah. Um, and kids today as well. I feel like it would have affected us more than the generations previous, you know, with people that were get like my parents that my dad was getting into video games when he was in his like late 20s, early 30s. Right. He had already fully developed <laughs> and we had not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's part of kids development now. I mean, just like all technology is. But yeah, the effect of video games on the collective millennial psyche mm-hmm. is pretty wild. And I'll give another example of uh, fears adults have had surrounding addictions to pinball specifically Mm -hmm. uh, as I get into that history. But it's like adults or parents have always had this deep, deep concern about what video game or just games in general, but specifically now video games, Mm -hmm. the effect they were having on, on the development of kids' brains. I mean, that was a big conversation when we were kids and it didn't start with the home console type games, I think it just magnified mm-hmm. because with the arcade, you didn't have to go to the arcade. You don't have to leave your bedroom. Like you're at home right. and you you might stay there forever kind of thing. Right. It was already concerning 
but kids still had to physically mm-hmm. go to arcades. And there, it was like, there was a social element to it, which is interesting because it's kind of like video games started as this very social thing. Mm-hmm. Then there was a period where that kind of dropped off. Not that it wasn't social at all, but there was a period where the games themselves weren't really like multiplayer necessarily, and certainly not online for a long time. Right. And then it kind of came back, you know, towards the time we were late late high school, I guess, early college, where online gaming was a thing, you know, for the first time. Yeah. And that made it social again. Right. But I do feel like there was almost this, like, dark age where <laughs> it, you know, unless you were couch co-op, as they say, if you were in the room playing with someone, yeah, you were really kind of isolated playing a game. Yeah. I mean, so my personal example that I always think about is when I was learning to drive, my dad was teaching me, mm-hmm. he was worried that I wouldn't anticipate or appreciate consequences of negligent driving. Mm -hmm. So when I was learning and he was teaching me, he used what I call the Mario Kart metaphor. Uh He said, if you run off the road, you won't be picked up and put back on the road to continue driving. Mm -mm. If you hit a wall going 60 miles an hour, Mm -hmm. there's a good chance you're going to die or seriously injure yourself. He's like, you have to keep that in mind. You have to pay attention it's not a video so game. So he, he felt like you playing video games like Mario Kart mm-hmm. would impede your ability to react and, and right. appreciate the actual reality yeah. in front of you. Driving. It's funny because I wasn't like an eight-year-old kid playing video games. I was 16. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like I was like, seriously? But, but you know, for him, you had been playing games since you were a kid since and he didn't know how that would affect you. Exactly. I think that's just part of the concern that, well, kids just don't appreciate consequences because they can just start over in video games. It's like, well, yes and no. And I understand. See, for me, I have always appreciated consequences. I just wished I could apply that to life. No, I, I wish I could. Yeah. God, the number of times. If I could just go back to my save point, my God. Mm. Anyway, we don't want to get in too deep too early. We have an episode to talk about. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, Gary calls this story the tale of the pinball, pinball wizard. wizard. Once we begin the story, we don't return to the Midnight Society until the end. This is the first time that happens. Yeah. Not the last. I noticed that too. The first time. Do you think that was because they wanted this to be the, to feel more immersive? Like you were stuck? I think so. Like Ross is stuck. I think so. Probably. Yeah. Ross Campbell was the kind of kid who was on his own a lot. So he knew how to take care of himself. If there was something he wanted, he'd do everything he could to get it. Basically, he was a latchkey kid. He sneaks around the mall looking for loose change. Mm-hmm. He's checking the payphone slots. He even steals a quarter from the fountain pool. Um, and it, I thought of the Goonies because I was like, no, mm-hmm, hey, that's somebody's too. wish. You can't take that. <laughs> Ross is played by Joe Posca. This is his only credit with a name. And IMDB says that he quit acting and eventually became a science teacher in Ontario. Wow. Which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So Ross Hall quits and becomes a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Meteorologist, yeah. And then Joe Posca, who plays Ross in the tale told by Gary, becomes a science teacher. <laughs> hey. It's pretty neat. There's something to that. Probably. Science, science fiction. And this mall is the Rockland Center Mall in Montreal. I would like to go there. <laughs> we'll have to go there. That'd be great. Once Ross takes a quarter out of the fountain, this super gross bag lady comes out of nowhere <laughs> and tries to take it from them. And their tug of war draws the attention of the security guard, who is wearing an eye patch. Mm-hmm. So Ross lets the lady have the quarter and runs off and hides behind a glass case displaying Super Soaker 
water guns or mm-hmm. one super soaker. Floating but, in there in the glass case. <laughs> yeah. This made me think about that meme uh, that was talking about all the depressing commercials for like mm-hmm. depression and anxiety and all these adult issues. And it was like, show me the latest in super soaker technology. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would prefer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We, it, I think the meme wanted like a setting on... Uh, yeah, choose kids like commercials. Netflix or whatever has ads, Hulu. Show us only kids commercials. Eluding this security guard... Ross pays a visit to Mr. Olson, who owns a store in the mall. Mr. Olson is played by A.J. Henderson, and we'll remember him as the creepy carnival barker in the tale of the dark music. That's right. <laughs> I did not recognize him. I was like, Whoa. I didn't recognize him either, but I recognized his name. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've talked about you. <laughs> He's this Mr. Fix-It type of guy who basically can repair anything that you need repairing mm-hmm. in his store. We see sculptures, clocks, toys, chairs, a typewriter, and this uh, crazy old radio or like TV that has wires just everywhere. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many wires. And he's got a couple old pinball machines, a mannequin that looks like a medieval executioner mm-hmm. holding a medieval mace. It does, standing in the window. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's, Mr. Olson is repairing a music box when Ross walks in. So I recognize this as kind of a classic trope. It's not very common, but I've seen it a few times. This young rascal has some form of friendship or association with an eccentric adult, Mm -hmm. Uh, usually some type of like shop owner or toy maker, like a tinker builder type. But either way, the adult almost always has a remarkable secret. One of my favorite renditions of this is in the film Hugo, uh, between the character Hugo and the character George Melius. And... Your favorite, and probably the most famous, is Back to the Future. Sure is. Between Marty and Doc. Mm-hmm. But Ross is there for two reasons. To play pinball and to pester Mr. Olsen for a job mm-hmm. so he can get paid to play pinball. And pretty much in that order, it seems pretty like. Pretty much. Yeah. Come on, Mr. Olsen, I'd work cheap. Besides, you could use a talented guy like me around here. To do what? Play pinball all day? But Mr. Olsen refuses because he's tired of hiring irresponsible kids. And I don't blame him. Sure. But Ross swears he can be trusted, saying Mr. Olsen won't have to fire him like he did Stephen. Mm-hmm. I wonder what actually happened to Stephen. Yeah. Who knows? Me too. I think we I think we figure it out by the end of the episode. I think we have a pretty good idea. <laughs> but even though Mr. Olsen is adamantly against hiring another teenager, he agrees to let Ross watch the store while he goes to lunch. So he's giving Ross a chance to prove himself as a trustworthy kid, but here's the catch. Ross isn't allowed to touch anything, especially not the new pinball game in the back. And naturally, mm-hmm. Mr. Olson isn't gone 10 seconds before Ross of course. sneaks to the back and starts playing. That this is new so pinball game. the opposite of my personality. I cannot Same. even... <laughs> Same. I, like, I can't relate to the urge, honestly. I'd have been like, pinball game? What pinball game? Games? Yeah, but, and Games not only, aren't real? Not only pinball game, but like, you tell me what not to do. And then, like, I know a lot of people that probably that would be their first instinct. Go do that thing. Not me. It couldn't, couldn't, never me. No. (laughs) Not a thing in my world. I'm too worried about getting in trouble. Same. I respect authority, you know, when they deserve it. (laughs) I have a problem with authority, but I have a desire to prove myself Mm -hmm. despite that. Sure, that that too. Because I know that I can get ahead. Mm -hmm. If I I want this job, I'm going to do what it takes to get that job. Yep. I'm not going to blow my opportunities. That's... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to ruin it. I don't have to like Mr. Olson. No. Nope. But I like myself. You need him to like you. I need him to like me, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we never really see the gameplay itself, but the game art on the back of the pinball machine tells us that this theme 
is within the realm of medieval fantasy. Mm -hmm. The main design is a clownish looking face, which might represent a court jester. But the other characters we see there, the princess, the witch, the executioner, and the sheriff, who's wearing an eye patch. Mm -hmm. And so I looked into a medieval sheriff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The original word for sheriff was a reeve. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the same thing as a modern day sheriff. Like somebody who presides over a county. Mm -hmm. Another word for a county is a shire. Mm -hmm. So eventually, somebody who was in this position was known as the Shire Reeve. Mm -hmm. Over time, Shire Reeve Uh is boiled down to sheriff. Gotta love some etymology. Love it. So cool. (laughs) Shire Reeve. Who's that? Oh, that's just the Shire Reeve. I can hear it. I can Mm -hmm. absolutely tell. Like that's one that it didn't take much. Mm Mm-mm. No. And that's it, crazy that so many of our English like vocabulary, so much of our English vocabulary comes from Old English. But while he's playing this game, he's interrupted by Sophie. Sophie's played oh, by Polly oh, Shannon, God. and she's had a pretty successful career as a television actor. In the early 90s, like mid to early 90s, she had a recurring role on season two of Catwalk, mm-hmm. which was a show about the lives of a group of young adults who form a pop group and try to make it big. Man, I loved all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch that? I, would, I didn't watch it, but I would have been into it. I loved everything with that type of plot line. I could see that. Wasn't she also, didn't she also appear, uh, Polly Shannon in Erie, Indiana? Did she? I think so. Well, then she did. <laughs> There it is. I, I looked it up and saw it. Only like one episode, but I was like, hey. Yeah. And uh, Outer Limits as well. Outer Limits. I saw that too. Yeah. She had mm-hmm. a few big things. And it looks like she started with this episode and then just kept acting. Mm-hmm. She's still acting. Yeah, I think this was She has some, some things credit. coming out. Um, her mother was a writer for, a screenwriter for children's television. Her name is uh, Mary McKay Smith. And she wrote a bunch of stuff. But- the most significant to me was 65 episodes of The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool, though. And that might be how Ruxpin. she got into the business. I think so, because her dad's not. Her dad wasn't. But Her mom was a writer. He was somebody He was somebody important, and they gave her the ultimatum, like, you have until 25 mm-hmm. to be a successful actor. Mm-hmm. So she just did it. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> pretty cool. Do you know how old she was when she was on this episode? Like 19 or 20. Yeah, I was going to say, she seems she older. She was older. Yeah. Sophie's there to pick up her music box, which is in the shape of a throne. Very important. Despite putting the music box away and going to lunch, Mr. Olson didn't finish repairing it. So she just says, I'll come back later. Mm -hmm. And the pinball game turns back on by itself. Right. So Ross returns to the game. He's dramatically playing and losing and delivering to us some serious exposition so that we'll know all the most important game elements. From this, we learn there are three levels and he has to get to the top level. Mm -hmm. There are zombies. There are zombies. (laughs) And he mentions something about not having enough water or being out of water or something. So we know water is important. Water in a a pinball game. I don't know. I don't know either. Some of this is a bit far-fetched. It's a stretch. We'll we'll say it's a stretch. We'll call it a stretch. But it is magic, so I don't know. There's a witch, and she's something of a surprise attack character. Mm -hmm. There's a crown and a throne, and the goal is to crown the princess on the throne. Mm -hmm. But the princess is missing. Sure. And if she's captured by the other characters, you lose the game. Mm -hmm. But Ross plays this game for a while. So while he's preoccupied, let's talk about the history of pinball. Let's. You want to hear about it? Please, share with me. I am just tickled by the history. (laughs) 
of pinball in all the right ways. That does not surprise me. It is so fun. It's way more interesting than the history of video games and arcades combined. Wow. So here we go. A Brief History of Pinball by GamesVer. <laughs> Baxter Mott. <laughs> no, by GamesVer.com. Oh, oh, okay. That's where I got my information from. Gotcha. Pinball arose in America during the Great Depression when Americans were looking for uh, cheap entertainment. This is based off of the French game Bagatelle. <laughs> this game consists of moving balls past pens. So pinball wasn't exactly a stretch. <laughs> well, originally... Pinball machines were built without the flipper mechanisms on the sides. Which is the only thing I can think of Isn't when that chaotic? I think of pinball. Mm-hmm. It was only the spring-loaded, like, pinball shooter. Then how did you how did you affect the game? You didn't. Oh, it was luck. This made it a game of chance. Ah. Therefore, pinball was a form of gambling. I see. Legally, it was a form of gambling. Slot machines were suspicious and were subjected to many police raids. So the mob started using pinball machines to run their gambling schemes. And they weren't officially breaking any gambling laws until payout slots were connected to the sides of them. Mm -hmm. And people could now make money off of the game. Mm -hmm. People began to consider pinball machines as slot machines in disguise. Wow. Which I think is just so funny how nefarious it got. Mm -hmm. When pinball is just one of the most like silly goofy games to ever exist. It's so innocent. Mm -hmm. But by the 1940s, pinball was outlawed. As are most good things. Yeah, most good things, (laughs) right? Nah, man. Kidding. The flippers were invented in 1947. Wow. But it remained remained illegal in many places until the 1970s. That's wild. But pinball is still illegal in certain cities. Like where? Certain places. I didn't, it didn't say where. Oh, oh my God. But there are certain <laughs> places in the U.S. where it's still illegal. But even though they're, it's not just chance? They don't, they don't enforce it. They just, they just never, it's a whole procedure it's, to yeah, get okay. laws overturned. It's just, in there. It's just a yeah. whole complicated process. It costs money. Nobody wants to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you can play it. We're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like walking down the street in downtown with an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. That's illegal. <laughs> it's wild. As much as you might want to, listener, <laughs> <I> <laughs> don't mean, put your ice cream in your back pocket. <laughs> imagine the mess it would make just down the back of your pants. Don't get chocolate. That would look wrong. No, sure would. Make sure it's like strawberry or something. No, that might look wrong too. You're right. <laughs> Mint chocolate chip? <laughs> I don't know. Oh Pistachio. God. Pistachio. Sure. Green's always good. Green means go. Mm. All right. So there was always a lot of social concern surrounding pinball. A lot of people saw pinball as a gateway game to more serious gambling. Hmm, sounds familiar. They thought it was training children to become gamblers. Wow. And the joke's on them because children have always been gamblers. <laughs> They've always been shysters. Can't trust them. <laughs> there were such things as like pinball joints. You go to the pinball joint and play pinball. Gotcha. So people claimed that the owners of pinball joints were stealing lunch money from children. Wow. Because kids would skip school to go play pinball. Wow. So cities had to ban kids from playing pinball during school hours. So you couldn't let kids into your establishment. That's serious. Before like three o'clock. Did you ever like to play pinball? Because I have played the pinball. times in my life. Oh, I've definitely played pinball, but I don't think I've played it and like wanted to play it. It was I like never, I have ten minutes to kill. Yeah. I'll play it while I wait for this table or You know whatever. where I played pinball mostly? CC's Pizza. Oh. CC's Pizza. That makes That's sense. That's pretty much it because they had the small arcade in the back yeah. and a buffet of every kind of pizza you can imagine. And that's about it. Yeah, that makes sense. There definitely were pinball machines there. I can remember that. But yeah, never loved it. It was never 
really it for me. Mm-mm. Now, because probably it was too simple. Because well, we yeah. ha- we had we, had we video games. by the time you know we were playing games, we had video games that were a lot more you know Super Mario Brothers. Totally, who's going to choose pinball over Super Mario Brothers? Not me. Not me. Because kids were like skipping school and all this stuff, and it was becoming a problem. Adults were concerned that kids were getting addicted to pinball. And many people feared that it would entice children to steal money just so they could get their pinball fix. And once pinball was outlawed, it became associated with rebel culture. (laughs) So now it wasn't just fun to play pinball. It was super cool to play pinball. super bad. So bad with your little cigarette tucked behind your ear Mm. and your Mm. hair all greased back. Pinball. Man, can you imagine just throwing back some sarsaparilla, (laughs) playing some pinball. At the soda fountain. Toothpick in your mouth. Mm. Oh my God. I'm into it. Super cool. Zuko baby. (laughs) Then during World War II, it was considered unpatriotic, just like it was unpatriotic of kids to cause mischief during the same time Mm -hmm. around Halloween. This is the same era of Black Halloween and all that fun stuff. Only with pinball machines, it had much more to do with the copper and aluminum and the nickel being thought of as waste of material that should have been used for the war. Mm Mm-hmm. Got a ration. Got a... Got a ration. Yep, cut back. So the mayor of New York City at that time, Fiorello LaGuardia... LaGuardia, like the airport. <laughs> yeah. Destroyed all the pinball machines in the city. Dang. Pulling all their useful metals and materials and dumping the carcasses into the Long Island Sound. That's extreme. Well, he'd also done the same thing to slot machines and dumped all those in the Hudson. It feels unhelpful. It's Feels bad. Like pollution. Yeah. And like, anyway, he had previously demonized pinball machines. So he turned this into a photo op. Like he was using it to bolster his own reputation. Mm-hmm. He was he was tough on crime. Right. And pinball crime machines, like pinball. super mm-hmm. illegal, super bad. It's so wild. It's wild? so crazy how things change. Just the cycles of I know. culture. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I don't feel well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's super general to say, but it, it's just insane to me. <laughs> it's, no, listen. When I was uh, I was working on a movie and I was hanging out with my friend Bailey and we were talking about something, something to do with hurricanes and hot weather and all this stuff. And I was trying to explain it, but I'm not a scientist. <laughs> no kidding. I was like, you know, it has to do with like... Uh, weather patterns and like systems and shit. Ah, <laughs> profound. He, yes. He just like sat there and was like systems and shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. The technical term. Mm-hmm. You explained it. Yep. Perfect. That's how I feel. I'm in a, I'm in a systems and shit sort of a headspace. <laughs> Me too. You know what? Oh, we're we're going to get there. God. Thanks for I'm, sticking with us, listener. I'm going to get into some crazy philosophy. I'm going to talk all about simulacra and simulation and no one's going to know what the hell's going on. So I already don't. Get so ready. good job. Wow. Right now. Pinball. 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 So pinball games were further advanced in the 1950s, um, adding different types of art packages and increasing the sophistication of the playfield mechanisms. Ah. I'm going to try not to just stutter through this whole thing. These art packages before like movies um, and franchises, it was very generic themes like space. Which is what I remember. Robots. Like the one on the computer. <laughs> like the very early like Windows 98 pinball. Oh, yeah. It was like outer space. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much like that. Combining but video games and pinball. My favorite was like high speed. Oh yeah. Yes. So the theme is like fast. <laughs> it's like it's like the whole thing. Oh, I love like 1950s so good. Uh, marketing and stuff. So great. Quick. Agile. <laughs> synonyms. Oh my god. Oh, what if synonyms was just a theme, an art theme for a pinball game? Synonyms. Synonymous. 
You're moving through a grammar textbook. Synonymous simulation. Wow. Now, with these new updated versions, um, quoting from this from this uh, website, this article, they were electromechanical and ran on precarious... Hmm, starting over. They were electromechanical and ran on a precarious balance of moving parts. And correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, if you know, but I think these moving parts were coils, relays, and stepper units. Sounds right to me. It sounds right. What do I know? Let's call it right. Okay. Then, by the 1970s, microprocessors Mm -hmm. further advanced pinball once again. Sure. Because now there's a lot more um, chance. It's like an early algorithm. You know, it's going to spit something different out at you each time. Kind of, yeah. Because, Mm -hmm. well, this brought it further into the realm of electronic gaming. Mm-hmm. And this is where I literally wrote circuit boards and shit. And what <laughs> else am I going to say? I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. Or an electrical engineer. I am yes. not. Why is the outlet in my bathroom wall clicking? Hey, yeah, if you know, let, it, let us know. It seems bad. Oh, God. We've both had issues with our houses. I've had issues with my body. Like My cat was sneezing for three days. Your, your cat, my cat was sick too. Oh my I've, God. I've had a sick cat as well. What is going on? We're in a simulation. None of this is it real. It is all a simulation. <laughs> all right, so... Now that pinball was digitized, there were digital displays, music, sound effects, and this was around the same time that arcades were popping up. So video games, like you were just saying, were already more popular than pinball. Mm-hmm. But here, this is when the art packages became more specific, not just these generic themes. Um, it was branding for certain runs of games, and one of the most popular versions was the Adams Family. <laughs> Did you ever see that one? No. I don't know if I ever played that one. I don't think so. That's so cool, though. It's fun. But the popularity, like I've said, has ebbed and flowed over the decades. But the nostalgia of pinball has created an upswing in popularity recently, especially with all kinds of barcades Mm -hmm. and quote-unquote museum arcades opening up around the country. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming so popular again now that newer pinball companies are starting to recreate some of the older classic themes and titles. That's cool. That's fun. I mean, we love nostalgia. We know we do. Mm -hmm. Listener, you're out there, hopefully, because you feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) If I went to an arcade now and they didn't have some pinball, I'd be bombed. Yeah, same. I'd want to play. Same. You got to have two things at an arcade. Pinball. Skee-ball. Skee-ball. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I love both. Me too. I love skee-ball, particularly. So fun. I would skee-ball over pinball if I had a quarter, you know? If I had to pick a ball Mm. with one quarter. It'd be ski. It'd be ski. Same. (laughs) I'm glad we agree. (laughs) On Sorry. something for That's once. Why we're friends. We, we agree a lot. What are you talking about? <laughs> we do. But usually on these random little things, it's like we, our opinions could not be more opposite. That's true. Sometimes we are different. But bringing this into the 90s, with the rise of video game popularity and the dying out of arcades around this time, it makes sense that a handy fella like Mr. Olson would have a hobby of finding defunct old pinball machines and restoring them to their former glory in his shop. Mm-hmm. I think he makes sense. I like it. I think it's cool. I think it checks out. Well, I liked it at first, we'll say. Well. We'll get there. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get there. Keep getting ahead of ourselves. Every time. So here Ross is, playing one of these old pinball games while he's supposed to be watching Mr. Olson's store. And the next thing Ross knows, so much time has passed that it's now Nighttime. Mm-hmm. The mall is totally empty. Mr. Olson never came back. Rather liminal, if uh, you ask me. See, I'm glad you said it and I didn't have to. 
Because I think people are tired of hearing me say the word liminal. <laughs> oh, shit. I Maybe. Said I said it. Whoops. As a kid, I'm already deeply concerned. Oh, yeah. Same. Spoiler. Ross doesn't know it yet, but he's been sucked inside the pinball game. And as for all of my, like, waxing poetic earlier about, like, appreciating being able to save the game and, you know, the video game vocabulary and the idea of games entering our psyche, I don't ever want to be sucked into a video game. It does not go well. Mm-mm. From what I've experienced in fiction, it does not go well. So it never goes well in as fiction. much as I like may have like <laughs> fantasized or had that idea in my head as a kid, and then you know watching Spy Kids game over when I was older. <laughs> Lord of mercy. No, no, thank you. I don't. No thanks. No. Don't wanna. Can't make me. No, I definitely wouldn't if you offered. I definitely would not do it. Yeah. In this parallel game world, we encounter the same characters and elements that we've already seen or heard about so far and tv tropes calls this trope and you were there (laughs) from wizard of oz exactly tv tropes is so great man i I love love tv tropes i'm going to reference them a few times i I always pull up their page for every Mm -hmm. like every episode i research for it's helpful it's great yes that's what dorothy says to all the other characters when she wakes up and you were there and you and you and because it's characters that we saw in reference to the game like on the art for the game right but also characters that we've seen versions of yep. in life exactly in, in ross's life in that day yeah just as if you were having a dream and you you dreamt you know you dreamt that the cashier that you saw earlier is the right. character in your dream that kind of thing which makes me wonder I'm, it makes me wonder you know really makes me wonder it just why I it just does about you <laughs> again how much of this is constructed how much of this is a dream we don't know. It is confusing, one might say. To say the least, yes. So here are the characters in this episode. And I have I have the characters, their parallel counterparts, mm-hmm. and a few descriptive words ah, about okay. the purpose they serve okay. in this episode. Okay, because it is confusing. So, I mean, yeah, it, is I guess confusing. it makes so, sense that you'll break it down for us. But we have the princess, mm-hmm. who is Princess Sophie. Yes. The same girl we saw. The same girl that, that came in for her music box. Her words I used to describe her. Oh, no. <laughs> Elusive. Okay. Guidance. Okay. And distraction. Yeah. This would be in the code of the game. Right. Mm. The sheriff, Mm -hmm. his parallel character is the security guard. Security guard. The mall cop. The mall cop. That gets on to uh, Ross for trying to take the money out of the fountain. Right. Hey, what's going on down there? (laughs) His words are antagonizing, Mm -hmm. skillful, intelligent. Okay. The executioner. Slash wrestler. I call them the same character. I would, I would too. The executioner is the mannequin mm-hmm. in the store window the who comes to life, which I'm going to get the into all mail. that. Mm-hmm. Strong, dangerous, obstacle. Okay. I would have said enemy. Well, enemy, yeah, but I would say the sheriff is like the main enemy. Also true. You know, I don't know. Baddie. He's a baddie. He's a baddie. He's a big baddie. Mm-hmm. We have the witch. Mm-hmm. Her parallel. Bag lady. Her words are... Terrifying, cunning, and mischievous. She also hisses like a cat, so just whatever that's worth. Yeah, she does hiss. And she's green. <laughs> it's it's very it's a very stereotypical. And I'll you say, were there? <laughs> I'll say evil witch. Not yeah. just witch, because witch. We're, you're right. we're fair you're right. here. You're this right. is a stereotypical misogynistic. Think Alphaba. Right. You know, think Wicked Witch right. of the West. Witch. Evil witch. Wicked witch. Mm-hmm. And then last we have the zombies who are <laughs> I just, I think their parallel is just everybody at the mall, just people, because uh-huh. there's a lot of them. Sure. They don't really have a parallel, though. Just the 
Yeah, the mall goers. Mall goers. The general population, the NPCs. Annoying, inconvenient, overwhelming. <laughs> That's true of people too. So perfect. Exactly how that I works. feel in crowds, in public places. <laughs> Me too. So there are three levels to the pinball game. And there are three levels to the mall. Mm -hmm. And there are many objectives, not not many, not plural, but like tiny, <laughs> small. small baby objectives <laughs> that Ross has to complete on each level before he can advance mm -hmm. to the next level. Tasks that in, a, in a video yeah, game. Yeah, it makes That's, sense. It's, yeah. I like that they use the escalators because mm -hmm. it comes to life with the lights and the music from the, the pinball game that we, we've heard. In order to level up. I thought mm -hmm. it was well done. It was yep. convincing. Which also, did we discuss the music earlier? I don't think so. No, we haven't yet. The music for this pinball. The music for this episode is pinball music. It's top it's like, notch. What is it, 8-bit? What do they call it's it? It's kind of 8-bit sound, yeah. Yeah. It felt me with... It mm. felt you? Shh. Felt you. <laughs> I felt so much dread. Yeah. Because Hearing that's... that music. You know, in a video game, in movies and TV too, but in a video game, you know that the bad guy's coming because the music mm -hmm. changes. Oh, yeah. I was just... Okay video game side note and i probably should have talked about it earlier because it, it goes here in this episode so i was recently playing essentially like a um emulator of an old nancy drew oh, game yeah. like a computer game because i had gotten a bunch of stuff dropped off at my house my parents gave me a bunch of my old cd roms and stuff i think we talked about it and in there were nancy drew games that i nice. used to play and nice. there's an emulator on like a modern gaming system on steam that has one of the earliest Nancy Drew games, Secrets Can Kill. <laughs> and going through it, it was insane, the nostalgia that just that game. Because, you know, when I would play it, it would be me in my family computer room in the dark, yep. you know, playing by myself. Mm -hmm. And when I played this game, it's one of the games that's notoriously, like, it's very easy to kill Nancy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in some of them, more than others. And uh, this was one of them where if you make the wrong move or like you click the wrong thing at the wrong time before it's in sequence, um, hmm. you can very easily kill Nancy by like blowing up an entire diner. It's very oh, wow. intense. All right. <laughs> and so as, as I was going through it again, hearing the music, the trigger of the music where it would like spike up in uh, tempo, you know, and mm -hmm. it would get a little bit more urgent, I'd be like, Oh shit. Oh no. I remember this and I don't need to click anything. <laughs> oh, the anxiety. <laughs> it just My took, God. I mean, it took no time at all. It, it instantly just transported me back to being that age playing that game. Right. But music plays a huge part in how the audience member, or in the case of a video game, in how the player feels yep. and how they interpret what's happening. Mm -hmm. And this episode really took that and ran with it. It did. I thought it was, yeah. I mean, I thought it was cool. It was effective. I mean, as soon as he began playing the game at the very beginning, mm -hmm. I was like, I remember this from when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's really clever, too. At the time, obviously, malls were still in. You know, this was still the heyday of the American shopping mall. Yeah. But mm -hmm. this episode combines the shopping mall with the video game element mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't seen before in other no. media, which it's, is why this again, was a memorable clever. episode. Yeah. It's, it just, it made sense. Mm -hmm. I was impressed with it. But here are the mini tiny baby objectives yes, he yes. has to complete on each level. <laughs> Sorry, it took us on our own side quest there. No, it's fine. <laughs> We're about to jump all into simulation. It's going to get wild here in a second. <laughs> but level one objectives. Begin the game. Secure the key. Obtain the tea hour from the vault. Mm -hmm. Level two. Use the key to free the princess. Very important. Obtain the music box. Obtain the mace. Mm-hmm. Level three objectives. Obtain the water guns. Technically on level two, but hey, now we're just splitting hairs. 
beat the sheriff, crown the princess. Ding, ding, ding. The game is over. You've won. Or have you? At least that's the idea, right? Mm -hmm. Now things are going to get all f***ed up. You ready? (laughs) I'm ready. Oh my God. Today, my day has been so f***ed up already. Let's just... Bring it on. Hey, listener, you guys want to get f***ed up? (laughs) (laughs) This game that Ross is playing is pure chaos. But I would describe pinball as chaos. It is. Pinball is a very chaotic game. Everything happens quickly. It happens before you have a ton of time to react to it. I think that's why I don't love pinball. Same. I like I would prefer a game like I was talking about. I liked a Nancy Drew game. I like the yeah. strategy. I need time Ooh, to think. I love a strategy. As ADHD as I am, I don't want to play pinball. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I like to have time to think about what I'm going to do mm-hmm. first. I'm also not a chess player, though. So. Oh, I do love chess. I do like chess. Give me checkers any day. I like checkers, too. <laughs> I also like Connect Four. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Tic-tac-toe. Yeah. All right. So I just found it interesting that although Ross is playing the game this whole time, and trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. He never really puts it together Mm-mm. until he arrives on the third level. It's true. And there, finally, it clicks. He realizes he's not just playing a game. He's, he's living one. a game. Mm-hmm. And it's this concept of a parallel world that a character is forced into, along with Gary's initial warnings of what if the game and all of its consequences are real. This got me going down some extraordinary rabbit holes that I'm excited about. Please do share with me and the listener. I'm going to try to get through all this as as quickly as possible. Oh, man. It's going to be... I feel like those are our famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. How much time do we have? The bomb's (laughs) going to explode. Oh, no. Right. I wanted to know how this episode could release in 1992. And then just three years later in 1995, we get the ultimate 90s example of a game becoming far too real. Mm -hmm. Jumanji. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I can't really get into because we're going to cover that one day. We will. It's it's like right there. They're like right there. Why? Mm-hmm. I wanted to know why the '90s was obsessed with this idea of games becoming real. I wanted to know where this where these ideas came from. Like where this concept of life versus death inside of a simulation slash game originated. Mm-hmm. Because this has been done many many times. You've already referenced a Spy Kids, whatever. <laughs> game over. <laughs> this is the basis for many a science fiction premise. Mm-hmm. And the most popular example I can think of is The Matrix. Mm -hmm. If you die in The Matrix, you die for real. Mm -hmm. There's also another super interesting Netflix series that's new that I won't spoil, but that is the main premise too. They're all in a simulation. For a while there, we had Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. where the winner of the game, the last man standing, wins the whole thing. And obviously, if you die in the game, you're you're (laughs) dead. If you lose, like the way that you lose those games as you die. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Squid Game, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend. Yeah, I never did watch Squid Game. I have too much anxiety for that. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's pretty heavy, but it's really good. I'm giving these examples to prove how common this is. And there's mm-hmm. way oh, more. Oh, absolutely. It's, you can it's just look up. grown exponentially, this idea. Yeah. So I'm just, yeah. I'm just me just doing my research. And I'm thinking, I'm looking for examples. I watched Tron this week. I'd never seen Tron, the original. Never? From 1982. Never. Oh my God. Okay, I have seen Tron. So I watched it because I was like, there there has to be parallels Mm -hmm. there. And there were. I'm sure. There are so many crossovers between Tron, The Matrix, and this episode. And it blew my mind. (laughs) And they're all pretty unrelated. They are. And yet they're not. So timeline-wise, Tron was first. 82, yes. Then this episode. Then this episode. 92. In 92. And then in 99. The Matrix in 99. Exactly. Not only were they not related to each other, but they weren't even close together on the timeline. There's nearly 10 years between each of these examples that you're giving us. And yet they have so much in common, not the least of which 
is the Alice in Wonderland references in both Tron and The Matrix, and how the characters in Tron not only use the word Matrix Mm -hmm. multiple times, but they refer to their simulated world as the grid. Mm -hmm. And a grid is just a type of Matrix. Yes. And let's not pretend like Ross being unable to keep up with Sophie isn't just Alice yeah. following the White Rabbit. That's how a lot of, I mean, that's that's a lot of video game premise. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, Link and Zelda. It's Mario and Peach. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. You're always chasing that next level, chasing the princess. It's always present. It's always there. Mm-hmm. So specifically in Tron, because I just learned this and I think it's super fun. A computer programmer is zapped into the master control system where he's forced to play inside of a racing game mm-hmm. against the program that is specifically designed to play that game as the computer. Mm -hmm. When the master control program tells the racing program about the user, the human, Mm -hmm. master control says, I want him in the games until he dies playing. Awful. Which So scary. That's pretty dark for Disney. That is pretty dark for Disney. But the main character of Tron, Flynn, when he's told that he's going to be playing video games as a guest of the master control program, he says, no sweat. I play video games better than anybody. Mm -hmm. So he has the same bravado that Ross has at the beginning about pinball. He's allegedly very good at arcade games. So that's another parallel. You're sucked into the game, but it's okay because you're good at games. Right. I just think it's interesting. Or you you have some sort of like a fallback, like you're talented, you'll be okay. And that's kind of how I felt when I see this in media where I'm like, but they're good at video games, but it's like, can anybody be that good? TV tropes, there's a trope for this. They call it... Badass normals. <laughs> yeah. You're just a person. Yeah. You're part of the game. They're sense. all computers, but you're good at video games. So Badass normals. you have a chance of winning. Totally. So we've just discussed how science fiction has benefited humanity in our We're Back episode from last time. Mm-hmm. But as a culture, we've gone from what dreams can we apply to life from science fiction to what horrors can we apply to science fiction from life? Bingo. That's very quotable. (laughs) Very true. You guys listening? (laughs) Did you like that? Do you guys like that? (laughs) The premise of Black Mirror. Exactly. No, yeah. That's a perfect example. The horrors of life. Applied to... uh, Applied to science fiction. Science fiction. Rather than vice versa. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dark. And this pretty darkness often results in this exact premise. Yes, of course it's a game, but what if the game is real? So I can't say for certain where this concept came from, where it was born, but I know one of the earliest examples had to have come from a short story called The Most Dangerous Game. Oh, okay. By Richard Connell. I Yeah, I've heard of this. Heard of this? Okay. I haven't read it. This was first published in Collier's on January 19th, 1924. It's a good year. <laughs> For those who aren't familiar, this is a short story inspired by big game hunting in Africa and South America, which was popular amongst the wealthy American elites in the 1920s. So it features a big game hunter falling from a yacht who swims ashore a Caribbean island where he is then hunted by a Russian aristocrat who explains that he's tired of big game hunting, so he's moved on to hunting man, the most dangerous game of all. Mm -hmm. We saw some of the same concept with Labyrinth. Yes. Come play the game and Mm -hmm. see if you can beat the Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. If you can't, your baby brother becomes a goblin Mm -hmm. and you'll turn into a skeleton at the bottom of an oubliette. You'll turn into a skeleton. But of course, this is a network television show for children. Right. So nobody's trying to kill Ross. I mean, necessarily. The look of that by the look of that mace. 
<laughs> I, I think pretty, somebody's trying to kill Ross. Maybe they are trying to kill him, but we can't explicitly we say. We can't say that. Right. Sure. But I mean, that's another thing too, is just the casual nature, going back to kind of what we were saying earlier, the casual nature of us referencing lives in a game and lives, you die yeah. and you, you die in a game and life and death is very um, trivialized in that sense. Right. And that I think is part of what brought us to saying it so casually in fiction like have you died yet or like you know that kind of thing <laughs> isn't that crazy weird when you think about it we have trivialized it yeah. life and death <laughs> there's nothing more serious cut to my dad teaching me how to drive exactly going, you realize if you drive off the road you're gonna die right yeah, like, nobody's you, gonna put you back on <laughs> so yeah i kept digging and digging and researching all this stuff and I found really crazy things while researching for the inspiration for the Matrix franchise. The Wachowskis based the premise of the original Matrix film on a philosophical text called Simulacra and Simulation, which was written by a French sociologist and philosopher named Jean Baudrillard, mm -hmm. and was published in 1981. This book, or at least Jean Baudrillard as a writer and a thinker, is majorly responsible, if not completely responsible, for the formulation of the modern concept of simulation. So the book, Simulacra and Simulation, was inspired by another book called The Society of the Spectacle by Guy Debord, another French writer, which was inspired by the Situationist International Movement of the 50s and 60s, which was inspired by oh, man. libertarian Marxism. Okay. Which is inspired by a lot of other stuff, too, that I'm not going to yeah, get into. Yeah, sure is. All of these philosophical texts and critical theories are critiques of things like capitalism, yeah. consumerism, market economy, mm -hmm. and mass media, yeah. claiming that all social authenticity has died because capitalism is the death of history. I don't disagree. <laughs> and at all, the corrupt governments that exist today mm -hmm. merely serve the perpetuation of this reality, mm -hmm. which Guy Debord referred to as the spectacle Wow! in his The Society of the Spectacle. Mm -hmm. Man, I am seriously just getting major, major Hunger Games vibes. Yep. Just hearing these threads be tied together. You know, she pulled so much of this stuff from yeah, this. Definitely. It all relates. It all connects. But to further simplify these thought processes, materialism has eroded all potential for authentic human connection. Material wealth has made modern reality a mere construct of what we think reality is or should be. Mm -hmm. Modern reality, in other words, is a faint echo of what reality used to be before we began to put all this importance on mm -hmm. things, objects, items. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, all of this is fake. Yeah. And if all of this is fake, then this is a simulated reality. Damn. It's a simulation of what we think reality is. I'm, Which is where oh all this God. stuff comes oh from. God. The Matrix comes yeah, from this. You're, you're presenting it to me in a way I just hadn't, like, I've connected a lot of these dots, but just not all together. Mm -hmm. So it's all clicking for me. I'm simplifying it for the sake of just comprehension because sure. I barely understand this stuff, but <laughs> I found this fascinating how this all is connecting. Yeah, that's wild. So according to this book, uh, Simulacra and Simulation, simulation is the imitation of reality not reality itself. Mm -hmm. Simulacrum, this is a quote, simulacrum is never that which conceals the truth. It is the truth that conceals that there is none. Ew. <laughs> which I had to like sit with that for a minute. Yeah. And some of you are going, yeah, I've read this 10 times. I I, mm -hmm. I know all about sure, this. Sure. I've smoked all the weed. I've eaten all the mushrooms. I get this. Email us. <laughs> but if I'm correct, effective simulacra 
is everything inside the simulation that keeps you from questioning reality. I think that's simplifying it too much. But if that's true, one of the best examples of this is the film The Truman Show, mm -hmm. which royally me up as a kid. <laughs> and a lot of other people. We have to cover alone. this movie. I think we will. Because it's family friendly. It's what a family film. What year did it film. come out in? I can't remember. 90s. I thought so. Mid 90s? Man. Looking it up? Yep. Let me know. Tell me. I got this I got this machine in front of me that will tell me anything I want to know. <laughs> 1998. 98, okay. Mm -hmm. Truman lives inside of a simulated reality where he's a star of a popular reality TV show based off of an old Twilight Zone episode. Mm -hmm. The simulation is the world he lives in. The sun, the moon, the atmosphere, the simulacra is all the actors who are supposed to play their parts so well that Truman never wants questions whether or not his reality is real. It's like flora and fauna. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Populating the area. And it's arguable that many modern sci-fi depictions of simulations, especially since the 80s and 90s, including like Hunger Games and whatever, are directly inspired from all of these critical theories. Mm -hmm. And I can't say whether or not DJ was directly inspired from them. I don't know if he read these texts, but I know he's familiar with a lot of science fiction and he's familiar with The Twilight Zone, mm -hmm. which has just buttered its bread with concepts like questioning reality. Yes. I mean, the whole shit, this whole show is The Twilight Zone for children. Yeah. That was his whole point. Yep. But I can say that seeing as how many of these texts were directly inspired by a hatred for consumerism and capitalism, I find it super interesting that he saw fit to place this episode in a shopping mall. Yeah. Which is the structural embodiment of consumer oh, capitalism. That consum yeah, that consumerism. Wow. Mm -hmm. We are always impressed with DJ the more we dig into these episodes. But did he know what he was doing or I was this a happy so. accident? I think so. <laughs> But it made it makes so much sense culturally too. Like he's either lucky know. or just the most intelligent person we've ever <laughs> talked about. I think he's I think he's a genius. We'll call him a genius. I like that better anyway. Mm -hmm. And not only this, but this episode in particular puts a major emphasis on objects, mm -hmm. which I will now break down as we segue back into our episode. Gotcha. Wow. Thank you for that. Thanks for sticking with me. What a on spiral. That roller coaster. What a spiral. <laughs> I know. My God. But that was the stuff that got me really pumped. This laughter that I'm doing is not false. It is simply all I have the energy for. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. <laughs> I, I, I mean it with every fiber of my being. My being just does not have a lot of fiber right now. But you have a lot of moral fiber, and that's what counts. <laughs> oh, always a lot of moral fiber. Always. That's different. Always. <laughs> so these objects are quarters. <laughs> wet, wet quarters. Wet quarters. A key. A tiara. Mm -hmm. A music box. A mace. And water guns. Mm -hmm. The quarters serve two purposes. Take a quarter, mm -hmm. begin the game. He jumps into the fountain to get this coin to start the whole process, you know, to begin this chain reaction of events. Yeah. And jumps in with both feet into this fountain. But he could have <laughs> easily just leaned down and picked up the coin. He could have just scooped him from the edge, I know. But when he jumped in, I was like, oh my God. So it just adds a whole layer to this whole thing that he's going through this all these trials right because he's doing them in oh wet socks God. and shoes i hate wet socks me too the worst i hate wet socks and he just commits you're right you fully know, his feet. both feet dive jump oh. jumps right in both and feet. his jeans are wet now and oh. he's stuffing wet coins wet into, coins his, into jean his pockets, pockets. <laughs> the worst oh man i'm going back to the days of my flare jeans dragging the ground behind my you know, oh, sneakers you get all, and get all tattered, getting all tattered and wet and mm -hmm. disgusting. Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah. My teenage dirtbag version. Oh yeah, yeah. Was going to youth group on Wednesday nights wearing my Birkenstock sandals. Oh my I cannot my, for the life of me picture you in Birkenstock sandals. My blue jeans dragging behind my heels, getting all tattered and wet and dirty. That was me though. Wearing jeans, like Birkenstocks. Polos. And polos. We were wearing the same thing. And I wore, but I always wore a backwards hat, so I was always kind of cool. Right. Because that's cool. <laughs> And clean shaven. That clinches it for you. Clean shaven. Sorry, I just, I was just thinking about it enough to write it down that when you consider all of these tribulations that he's enduring, he's doing it with wet shoes and socks. (laughs) He is. He is. That was a choice he made too. (laughs) And it was a choice that he made. And I don't even feel bad for him because that was, that was preventable. It wasn't like it was in the middle of the Very preventable. Anyway. (laughs) On the second level, the quarters turn into pinballs, or marbles, that Ross uses to trip up the witch, going full Macaulay Culkin on her ass. <laughs> Get out of here, witch. I'm the man of the house. The man of the mall. The man of the mall. The bell of the ball. Wow, what a pretty girl. <laughs> the key serves one purpose. When Ross finds Sophie bound in chains, he uses the key to unlock the chains and set her free. He does. Which I don't fully understand that cycle of, here's the key. You need the key. Yeah. You only need the key for later when I'm bound in chains. I don't get it either. So the headband, the, the tiara, headband, tiara, yes. crown thing. Ti- you got it. Okay, yeah. Tiara. It's all the same Doesn't, thing. She calls it a tiara the whole time, right? Yeah, but it goes from a headband to a tiara to a crown. Sure. Yes, yes. Parallels. It transforms. Gotcha. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. Depending on which level. So it goes from boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Headband, tiara, crown. The main objective is to crown the princess Sophie on the throne. But at different times, both the witch and the sheriff are almost crowned before some kind of intervention. Mm-hmm. The music box serves two purposes. Its music zaps the tiara from the clutches of the witch, who is about to crown herself. <laughs> I just feel like that was just thrown in there. Like, oh no, let's, yeah, well, let's give it we, a purpose. T- yeah, to me, it felt almost like we need to connect these two moments or we need to connect. Yeah. I don't know. We want to give the witch another like evil moment or something. Yeah. And it felt kind of, yeah, haphazardly like this. I think they is wanted the we'll music to serve a purpose too. Yeah. And they were just like, okay, let's just, yeah, let's bridge let's these. Let's stir all th- of three of those elements together in a pot. Ooh, in a cauldron. In a cauldron. And mm. it'll be the scene. Yeah. A wicked green cauldron. <laughs> a sorcerer might have. <laughs> a pinball wizard, you might say. <laughs> but being in the shape of a throne, the music box has to be taken to the third level where it can turn into an actual human-sized throne. And mm-hmm. this is where Sophie needs to sit so she can be crowned to win the but game. you know, I'm going to just briefly, while we're talking about objects and video games, uh-huh. we all are familiar because it... Again, it was one of those things that made inherent sense to me as a kid. I didn't have to be told because yeah, no. anytime that you collect objects in a video game, right? Oh, yeah. You can pick up furniture and put it in your pocket. Oh, yeah. That's a very common yeah. video game thing. Like nobody questions why or how your character can carry all of these giant objects. Right. It's like, um, where is all that stuff? It's in my pocket. It's in your pocket. It's in my bag. It's in my inventory. My satchel. It's in my inventory. It's in my pouch. Yeah. And so that to me, as because as I was watching as an adult, I was like, that's kind of weird that they make the throne grow. But then I was like, how else do they carry it and put it where they need it? And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how else does he possess it, right? Because he couldn't just hold this giant <laughs> throne. And I guess that also meant that they saved they saved on their CGI or their animated, you know, sequences budget as yeah. well. Because they didn't do a sequence where it shrinks and he puts it in his pocket, you know. It's represented right. by the music box. So I think that was just practical. Possibly so. So I don't blame Possibly them for that so. one. The mace serves one purpose. 
to shatter the glass case that holds the water guns. And thankfully, it does not serve the purpose of, you know, lopping Ross's head off. Thankfully. Almost, but not quite. I mean, a couple times, sure. It destroys some (laughs) sculptures. It does, yes. And the water guns serve one purpose. To win the game by super soaking the bad guys, who all vanish like the Professor Screw-Eyes. Hey. Being devoured by crows. Ooh. Back up an episode if you didn't catch that reference. Yeah, go back to We're Back. We're back. We're back. Go back. (laughs) And now that we know all of our characters and we know all the items, let's get down to the scares. Mm. These are the things that scared you as a kid. Well, some of them scared me. Some of them are just, you know, general scares, but Mm -hmm. we'll see. But yeah, generally they, they left an impression. Like I said, Ross finding himself alone in the mall is the first element that really kind of made me nervous as a kid. Honestly, if I were to walk out of a store now in the mall and it'd be totally dark and empty, mm-hmm. I'd be pretty nervous. I mean, same. Our our mall doesn't have the greatest reputation anymore, or also really that. it never did. No. But I get that feeling just in the daytime at the mall because mm-hmm. it's dead. It's empty. Our mall is pretty liminal it, anyway. anyway. Mm-hmm. Just being open. Yep. And as Ross is walking around, the rides in the mall, like the little like quarter slot rides. Mm -hmm. They all like come to life. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a little out of place looking back, like watching it again. It's out of place in the episode, but it was in the zeitgeist. It was in the- It was. That's how what it feels like to be at a mall. Mm -hmm. That would be a scary thing to have happen. You know, we all know what those look like. Yeah. We rode them as children. (laughs) Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, it really sets the mood because it tells you that this place isn't just empty. It has a mind of its It's own. It's possessed. Right. That's the differentiation. It's doing things- yeah, that you can't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Super scary. And and everything in here is against you. Like you've entered a world. You've entered the world of this game. You know, it's same thing in a Mario world where you know inherently yep. as you begin the level, well, once you've died a couple hundred times maybe as a kid <laughs> as you're figuring it out, you learn that pretty much everything you see is out to get you, except for yep. the mushrooms. Otherwise, <laughs> you're in trouble. The mushrooms have always been there for us, right? Right. <laughs> out of nowhere, one of the payphones rings. This is instant nightmare status for me. The rules and the patterns of this simulated parallel game world function much less on video game logic and much more on nightmare logic. Mm. Oh, true. Good observation. So there's a school of thought out there that the scariest story ever told is something like, you realize you're the last person alive on earth, and then there's a knock at the door. Yeah. Like the two-sentence horror story. It's something, yeah, exactly. It's something like that. What is that on the other side? This same terrifying logic applies to, you're the only living person inside this dark, quiet mall. Mm -hmm. And then the payphone rings. Payphone rings. I would be pretty spooked if a payphone, again, if a payphone rang in the middle of the day. If you walked by one and it rang? Yes, I would be spooked by that. Do not answer. No, no. That's how you begin the adventure. That's how you say yes Unless you are in Stars Hollow, Connecticut, which is a fictional place. (laughs) Do not answer the payphone (laughs) if it rings. (laughs) <laughs> oh god i was i was actually talking to a group of people that are you know slightly older than me some of my coworkers, yeah and they were talking about prank calling payphones like finding the number of a payphone at like a movie theater oh, and doing yeah. prank calls to the payphone at the theater that was just slightly must have been before my time because right for me my family probably would have lumped it into a stranger danger don't answer the phone kind of scenario right but that's wild yeah i've now heard of that where kids teenagers would prank call the payphone just to see if they could get somebody to pick it up. But I feel like you could really mess with somebody's head doing that. No, you could. That's introducing way too much chaos into my own <laughs> life. Well, you weren't a prank call person anyway, I'm sure. No. Me no. neither. Because that's just, it's too, it's too much. 
Mm-mm. You never know who's going to be on the other end of that line and how it's going to affect them, you know? And I'm too self-conscious. I know. That. Are we boring? Are we like, we're, are I we think just we're somewhere, too good? Like we're, we're definitely in the realm of square, I would say. You think I'm square? Like, I Yeah, but I am too. Huh. <laughs> you, you look so disappointed. I think in- I wouldn't think I'm square. Okay, modern general society- we don't go out. I do sometimes. We don't turn up at the club. No, I don't go to clubs. No. You know, like bars. that's what I mean. We don't we really go to party. Bars. We go to bars, but we don't party. Yeah, but who wants to party? <laughs> exactly. My point is If that's the case, then everybody I know are squares. That's not true. Squares befriend, befriend other squares. I'm not saying we are. Okay, we need to we need to, you know play back the tape. Because what I said was we're somewhere in the realm. Of square. I don't think we are square. Are we? No. But we're, we are certainly more rectangular than we are cool circles. No, we're, we're in rhombus territory. I wouldn't even give us that much credit. Really? (laughs) Maybe you. Maybe me. Maybe you. don't know what I've done in my spare time. That's true. As you sip your gin, I, I don't know. I don't tell you everything. Listener, write in and tell us how square do you think we are on a scale of one to 10? And you can either prove me totally wrong or, you know. The square-ometer? Right, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) square-ometer. You guys know us well enough by now to give us a rating like that, I think. No, I used to wear polos, Kaylin. God damn it. I used to wear Birkenstocks. (laughs) Those were the cool kids, okay? Yeah. In 2007. In the South. In the South. Church culture. And yeah, youth group culture. Uh, That's a whole other thing. Man, where were we? Back to things that matter. Yeah, not our social lives. When Ross Ross answers the phone, a voice says, Got an umbrella. And the coins begin raining down from the ceiling. Which doesn't seem like a horrible thing, I just have to say. And there's a whole lot of money, but it's enticing. So you can't trust anything. You can't trust it. In the game world. Mm-hmm. But this phone call gave me real Zebo vibes. Yeah. You know, the phone call in the house. Coming from inside the mall. Funny enough, it's also reminiscent of the Matrix with the ringing of the hardline mm-hmm. phones and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, Ross jumps into the pool and stuffs wet coins into his pockets and... It just bothers me so much. It bothers me a lot. There's not much worse than wet socks. As soon as he takes a coin, the game begins. And instantly, we meet the next most frightening element, the zombies. Mm -hmm. These are basically just men in suits who are identical in almost every way. It's that NPC vibe. There's a crowd of these homogenous, you know... Non-player characters. I mean, they're they're not a player. They're not really a bad guy necessarily. No, they're bad. They're just kind of in the way. They serve the other bad people. Yeah, they're henchmen. They're henchmen. Henchmen. They're pawns. Pawns. But they wear black suits, black ties, dark sunglasses, and these black bowler hats. And they have like silver skin and silver hair. Mm-hmm. Again, another parallel to The Matrix. In The Matrix, there are similar types of characters who are called agents. Yes. They wear black suits. Dark mm-hmm. sunglasses. They have these radio earpieces. And they're all these nondescript men. And they're literally meant to resemble government agents mm-hmm. or men in black. Men in black, yeah. But the zombies in this episode, I think they're meant to represent corporate zombies. Like the suits, the suits of the corporate suits. America mm-hmm. who go to work every day, feeding the beast, playing the game. Hey, you don't got to tell me. Mm-hmm. You know all about it. Have you, I think we may have even discussed it on the show before, but have you, you've seen a, the Adjustment Bureau? Yeah. Same thing. There are these Incredible government movie. agents. Or the, I love that movie. Oh my God, Emily Blunt. I love that movie. But mm-hmm. um, same kind of thing. There are these government agents that are keeping you on the right 
grid yep. and in the right, you know, flow, so to speak. Same kind of concept. It is very similar. Because in in the world of the Adjustment Bureau, it is not depicted as a simulation. It's depicted as these, like the whole life is life, but it is being controlled, right. you know, in some way or manipulated in some way. Fate. They're, they're depicted more as like agents of fate. Right. No, for sure. Interesting though. But yeah, they, I thought of that movie immediately. I was like, oh yeah, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. It's always men in suits. It's been around a long time. But we learn here that the zombies are afraid of water. Mm-hmm. They can't cross this puddle. And we've all had that moment in a video game where we learn the weakness of the bad guy. Yeah. Or, you know, we jump on the head of the <laughs> the Koopa, you know, and like, yeah. we've all had that moment of like, oh, this is how you kill them. This is how you, you know, yeah. this is how you defeat them. And that was depicted very straightforward, like very straightforward. kids of the time, we knew how that worked. Mm-hmm. And I think he chose water because water's bad for electronics. Nice. That's what I think. Nice. I'm with you. That's what I think. I'm with you. Next, we have the gross lockers. Ew. I have to talk about these they lockers. They are gross. Yeah. They're not scary. They're just gross. Gross. Princess Sophie tells Ross to get the tiara from the vault. So he goes looking through the lockers until he finds the headband. Mm-hmm. But before he finds it, we get some classic 90s Nickelodeon gross-out humor. Yes. And he opens a locker that splatters him with this green slime mm-hmm. that looks like vomit. It does. Straight up pea soup. Yeah, it did to me. And I don't it's, do ugh. vomit. I'm not. So nasty. I don't do well with it. <laughs> I would have much preferred it if it were actually like neon green Nickelodeon slime. Yeah, much more like I slime. Would have been, I would have appreciated that. I wish they'd done more of that stuff. Because I mean, like, that also would shows. feel, yeah, and that would also feel more video game. It would. Right? Because everything in a video game is this like larger Ultra than Ultra color, like, yeah. yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe Nickelodeon wouldn't give DJ the recipe. <laughs> and then the next locker hits him with this blast of foul yellow air. Ugh. They just had to do it to him, didn't they? It is gross. And to us. Mm-hmm. The gag. Right. Like the the false corridor, you know, in a game. It, it has this like Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yes. Style. Oh, no. Wrong door. Labyrinth, you know. Labyrinth, too. Same yeah. Same kind of thing. It's a very common trope in a game environment. Yeah. But I did like the idea that the vault is just the lockers at the mall and the, the tiara yeah. is just the headband <laughs> the 90s, pretty 90s girl left in the in the and she was wearing that same headband mm-hmm. before in the mm-hmm. shop. When she came into the shop. Was that just called a headband or was that uh, a specific type of headband? I was going to ask you. I mean, I would just call it a headband. I'm sure it does have a name. I didn't look it up. I was like, Kaylin will know. I'll ask her. Shockingly, Kaylin doesn't know about fashion <laughs> of the 90s or oh, now. Oh, because you are a tomboy. Yeah. I didn't really wear a lot of the mm. hair accessories at the time. That's too bad. I mean, I grew up and got thyroid disease. <laughs> Lost probably, all my hair. Oh, that's probably direct probably, connection. Right? It's got to be related. You know me. I blame myself for everything. It has to be related. There's no it's way. It's these movies and these games that has seeped into my moral code <laughs> and the fibers, the moral fibers, as we said. Moral fiber. <laughs> you have a surplus. <laughs> So next is the most nightmarish stuff to me, mm-hmm. and it's all to do with the witch. Yeah, she's spooky. Tierra in hand. Ross ascends the escalator to the second level, where we get the first of our terrifying witch scares. I remember not being able to watch this, like the moments with the witch, wow. because it scared me so much. Wow. Like full on eyes closed, hands Dang. covering the ears. Like, I don't want to know about I it. I was sort of desensitized to that type of witch because of The Wizard of Oz. Really? I had watched her melting, melting, melting so many times. I mean, I, 
I saw it too. And she scared me in that movie, but I do think that having seen that so many times and seen her defeated gave me confidence when it came to A Wicked mm. Witch. I see. Because by this age, watching this, I would have seen it many times. There might be a reason this lived with me as a kid. I don't know. Yeah? But I'll like get that. Like you know? Okay, okay. Potentially. Okay. This is just me looking back. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I was very young. Sure. But The Witch and also The Bag Lady are both played by Natalie Gauthier. Gauthier. This is her only Are You Afraid of the Dark credit. Mm -hmm. But she did a slew of other films within the horror and science fiction genres, mm -hmm. which I really respect and appreciate. I felt like they could have used her again, you know? They she, could have used her a lot. I she think was so. Good. She was that, she, she did that quintessential yeah. scary witch character I would agree. pretty well. I would agree. Minus the hissing. Less hissing. <laughs> if I was the director, anyway. <laughs> but not only has she been a flying trapeze and static trapeze artist... She's also run a trapeze school, an inspirational empowerment program for kids. Oh my God. What a cool person. Can I go? I don't know if she still does. Yeah. I want to learn trapeze and gain confidence in yeah, myself does. and others. People think you're 15 all the time. Uh, constantly. Mm -hmm. So we meet the witch when Sophie calls out to Ross to follow her and she takes off running and she runs down this long hallway and Ross chases her around the corner mm -hmm. where he's met by... The witch dun, dun, dun. and her incredible cackle. I wonder if that's her or somebody else. I, I wonder know. too. The cackle. It's really that good. They dubbed the cackle. The reason why I think this may have lived with me for too long is because when I was a kid, I didn't realize that that was actually Sophie. I put it together that that was the witch pretending to be Sophie, leading Ross from the general area of the mm. mall. Oh. Down this isolated dark hallway mm -hmm. to a secluded place where she could then reveal herself as the witch. Okay. And I, I think that I closed my eyes and covered my ears too quickly every time. And I never fully grasped mm -hmm. that it was actually Sophie. That's, and wow. so Yeah, I, I this, didn't even think that. But that's, I mean, that would be interesting too. I wouldn't put it past them to do that. I think that makes more sense. And that's way scarier. Because that's what I thought forever. Wow. And I always thought that Sophie truly was tied up in chains. Mm -hmm. So I just think I could have saved myself a lot of nightmares <laughs> if I had just paid attention. Yeah. You know. Wow. But this has gone down in my personal history as one of the scariest moments of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Dang. Of the whole series. Be because you believed that something that you trusted transformed into the bad guy. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I can see how that would mess you up. This led to many, many nightmares on my mm -hmm. for for me can, throughout the years of my life. I still have nightmares like that. Yeah. Oh, I I had one just the other night. I was telling you. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. where all was not as it seemed. Things transformed before my eyes that weren't. It wasn't real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that has made up a lot of my own like personal mm -hmm. anxiety and fear. Trust issues. I do have trust issues. That's where they started. We just uncovered the root. Squares don't have trust issues. So. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> they became square somehow, didn't they? Oh, man. All right. <clears throat> there are other moments where we see the witch skulking around looking like Bowser and shit. She does. Um, and it's pretty unnerving to see her appearing out of nowhere in this dark, empty mall. Mm -hmm. But the other most terrifying moment to me is this throne ride of doom. <laughs> so when he gets to the third level, like we said, the music box turns into this large and in charge throne. It does. Where Ross sits down and it begins to move mm -hmm. through the mall like a ride. Mm -hmm. And he can't control it and He's he can't at the stop mercy it. Of the throne. He can't get off of it. Nope. And this isn't scary. No. <laughs> I, I know that. But I had this nightmare <laughs> as a kid. 
Oh my God. About This just really got in there. It did. About being on something that's moving against my will and I can't stop it. I can't get off. You can't get off the ride. I mean, I can't get off the ride. That's fair. And I, I am moving towards something that is terrifying and I'm heading straight for it. And no matter what I do, I can't stop it from happening. Yeah. And that's the witch in front of the wall of cobwebs. Yeah. As Ross crashes into her. Mm-hmm. I've had the dream where I've been on the throne and I crash into the witch. Holy but cow. it's not like a show where she just vanishes. She's still there. Ew. And I have to ride as she's like scratching me up and Ew. like killing me. Oh my God. And that's part of why I'm so messed up. I'm so glad that you're the one that covered this episode because I did not have the same connection. I was like, oh yeah, I remember I that. A know, video game. I don't I know like why. games like that. <laughs> I don't know why this bothered me so it much. It got to you. Because the, the lack of control, the trust issues and the lack of control. I think you're right. Yeah. That's your, that's my psychoanalysis. <laughs> hey, ladies. In the moment. <laughs> you guys want to get a drink sometime? <laughs> want to go visit the mall? I'm a nice guy. I'll give you a quarter. <laughs> I'm a real good guy. The witch just got me. I don't know. Wow. Next up, we have the mannequin that comes to life. So the executioner uh, and also the wrestler is played by Norman James. Mm-hmm. And he's also credited as the nutcracker. In this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't recall that. I don't either. I, but I only watched it twice, so yeah. next time, that's my assignment. I'll look for the Nutcracker. The scariest part about the Executioner is that we first saw him as a mannequin in the front window mm-hmm. of Mr. Olson's store, holding the mace. Mm-hmm. And then once Ross goes into the store in the game world to free Sophie from her chains, mm-hmm. the mannequin comes to life and attacks them with the mace. Mm-hmm. So looking back again, this isn't inherently scary. I mean, a mannequin coming to life would be terrifying. It would be terrifying. But, and also, again, the mace, though. It's it's a weapon. But as a kid, anything inanimate coming to life scared the ever-loving shit out of me. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was trying to make it happen. I watched The Indian in the Cupboard one time. Oh, but see, I love that too. And it was over. I always wanted my toys to come to life mm-hmm. until I went to sleep. And then you, the, that scared me. And you. then I thought they would come to life while I was unconscious. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I believe that. that too, but I trusted in my toys. I was like, you guys oh, got me, right? We're good? I put my monkey Jake in prison. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Mm-hmm. I may have mentioned it on the show before, but my you know Ashton, my best friend Ashton, yeah. one of my childhood best friends, we would... Uh, take these like figurines that we had. One of mine was a Pocahontas, like the Disney Pocahontas. Yeah. They were plastic and they were about the size of the Indian, Indian in the cupboard figurines. And we would yep. hook them up to the lamps in my bedroom what? with pipe cleaners. What? Because we thought that that would uh, bring them to life somehow in the night. The power of the lamp? Yeah. Bulb? Yeah. We believed huh. that that was going to do it. Hmm. And... It was pretty funny because my mom, I think, caught wind of, like, what we were trying to do. Or she heard us saying, like, talking about bringing the toys to life or something or bringing the dolls to life. Right. So we went outside. We came back in. And my mom had moved our American Girl dolls that had nothing to do with this plot that we had concocted. And so we were like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom pulling an elf on the shelf. She did. She sure did. Wow. We weren't even. And then, of course, I knew that she had done something. But it was too funny. I'm like, you didn't notice the dolls hanging from the lamps by pipe cleaners? Like, Oh, so she just got the wrong doll. Yeah, she got the wrong doll. That's funny. She moved our American Girl dolls instead. You should have tried to plug them into a potato. I mean, I'm sure we did. (laughs) I'm not even joking you. We had all kinds of scientific experiments. I was like... Mary Shelley hey. up in there. I was gonna I was gonna animate some inanimate stuff. <laughs> you were cooler than me. I was just playing with Hot Wheels and stuff. 
Picking my nose. I don't know. Sorry. I don't even know if that story belongs other than just, you know, when inanimate things come No, to yeah. That, that belongs completely. I wanted it to happen and then I didn't. Mm-hmm. It was scary. Also, I watched Child's Play as a very young See, child and it ruined me. And I didn't. I avoided that one. So I probably would have had a completely I different outlook I was way on that. too young. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yikes. And not only does this mannequin executioner type thing with the mace come to life and try to attack you. But it chases you down as you run away. I definitely don't want anything to do with it. So it is scary. But then we never see the executioner again. The actor becomes the the wrestler, mm-hmm. which is not scary. Not scary, but very 90s. But his thighs were huge. They were. <laughs> I don't want to think about them anymore. <laughs> and last and definitely least, in my opinion, is the one-eyed man. Oh, yeah. And this is the sheriff wearing his eye patch. Mm-hmm. So we've seen him a couple times now. Just put his hands all over the princess. He did. Ugh. Trying to drag her away. Mm-hmm. And you know, he wrote this episode and then he cast himself. As yeah, the, I don't like that. I'm just I'm just putting that out as there. As soon as you said that, I was like, <clears throat> hang on. Hang on, wait a second. Can't wait to grab me a princess. Yikes. Ultimately, the sheriff is the main villain because he's the one who is almost crowned on the throne before engaging in a duel with Ross at the end. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that's really scary about him to, to Kit's other than his domineering authority, is the eye patch. Kids tend to be afraid of people who are missing body parts. Yeah. And psychologically, this is probably because it's a lot of like, well, what if that happened to me? Right. Or or this is just something that's I'm not familiar with, or it's just different. It's different, yeah. And it's the psych we we've talked about that very early on on the show, the psychology of fear. A lot of it has to do with preventing, you know, negative outcomes for yourself. Right. Right. So we have discussed also how missing a hand or a limb oftentimes is meant to represent a loss of humanity. Mm-hmm. In fiction, yes. Like you've lost some part of yourself yep. during your evil endeavors. Mm-hmm. And we didn't mention it, I don't think, when we discussed Professor Screwice. No, we didn't. We're back. We sure didn't. He was a villain, and somewhere along the way, he lost a part of himself, mm-hmm. just like our sheriff. His eye. And we are not ragging on amputees, by the way. No, definitely. <laughs> we don't believe this stuff. No, this no. is just it's, part of the research. It's, it's, um, this is an analysis. It's meant to be like, it's representative in some fiction. It is an obvious, literal, physical representation of something much more abstract and hard to explain to children. Mm-hmm. So they go with this symbolic gesture instead. He lost his way. Yes. He lost his sight. He lost his vision. And sadly... Yes, it became this trope of missing a part of your body mm-hmm. that it, it it was applied to villains. The missing hand to represent humanity, I feel like it goes back much further into history. That See, that makes sense. Because of punishments that were doled out to, you know, right. thieves, etc. Um, it was a much more direct cause and effect sort of fear. Yeah. You would want to watch out for those people because they had endured some punishment from the law for doing something villainous. Bad, et cetera. It was a symbol. Not the right. case today in our society, thankfully. That's my question is like, are kids naturally afraid of people who look a little bit different than they do? Or did we teach children to be afraid of people who are missing yeah. parts of their body because we've always applied that to villains? I don't know. I'm just, now that we've become aware of this trope, I, I can't unsee it and I'm fascinated by it mm-hmm. and I want to keep tracking it. It's there. It's everywhere, really. But again, like you were saying, I just want to clarify again, we don't believe having any sort of no, no. difference. <laughs> Or, or anything not. makes anyone not. a bad person or less than human no. in any way. Mm-mm. These all. are all just like fictional tropes that we've noticed in fiction and, and that are pointed out in like literature and analysis yeah. of literature. But 
since we're talking about the duel between the sheriff and Ross, we might as well pick back up here with our narration and bring this episode to its final scare. Let us. And therefore, its conclusion. Mm -hmm. Let's wrap this shit up. Let's do it. Ross has just used the super soaker to super soak the zombies and the wrestler (laughs) with his big thighs, leaving only the sheriff and Princess Sophie. Mm -hmm. So Ross tells her the game is over. But the sheriff grabs the mace and knocks the super soaker out of Ross's hands, Mm -hmm. giving us some classic hero-villain discourse and some of the only dialogue in this episode that isn't pure exposition. Mm -hmm. The sheriff explains that it isn't over because he's still there. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't play the game, boy, unless you know the rules. I was ready to quote that. They had to say Game Boy. Game Boy. They had to. Mm -hmm. And then Ross says, which I like this. It's Mm -hmm. important. It's good for kids to learn. But this isn't a game. It's real. And when it's real, you can make up your own rules. You're not confined to yes. the code. Right. You're not confined to these limited options that the mm-hmm. game master engineer mm-hmm. has set forth for you. It's all just a simulation, kid. <laughs> See, that's the opposite point. <laughs> Reality is a construct. Get out. Get out. But if it's real, we can make up our own rules. <laughs> that's the difference between a simulation in reality. It helps if you have a second water gun in your back pocket. Right. For you can just whip such out occasions. Mm-hmm. And squirt the sheriff. Because he's the kind of kid that probably carried a water gun around with him all the time. Yeah, for sure. I buy it. So he squirts the sheriff with the water gun, winning the game. And then he crowns Princess Sophie on the throne. It's over. Except it's not over. Ross essentially respawns back at the beginning. He does. On the first floor. Mm-hmm. We hear Mr. Olsen laughing a good old-fashioned villain's laugh. I mean, like an intense villain's laugh. Yeah, really intense. And it lasts a long time. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> and when Ross looks up at the glass ceiling, he sees the face of Mr. Olsen, the real pinball wizard. You told me I could trust you, Ross. But you had to play the game, didn't you? (laughs) Hope you enjoy your free games. You'll be playing them forever. 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 To add insult to injury, Mr. Olsen starts a new game. (laughs) Sending a giant pinball up to the escalator like it's Indiana Jones. Yes. When Ross saw that ball, he knew that he would never get out. And it's over. And this is almost the exact same ending. Yes. Of Gary's previous story, the Super Specs. Sure is. When they're inside the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. Trapped. His, he must feel trapped in some way. He's Because got to. his stories always end with that, you're, you're never going to get out. You're never going to well, so far. Wake up. I don't know so about far. the future So far. Episodes. Season but one. But you're right. He does, he must feel some level of entrapment. Yeah, I think so. Entrapment? I'm also bothered by Mr. Olson just deciding he's the moral authority and punishing these kids who can't resist a good game of pinball by kidnapping them. It's very, it's very Jareth. It's very Goblin King. Like, it's yeah. going to take you now. I get to decide. It's That's one of my big questions. He's clearly magic- on some level. Yes. It's like, yeah, Ross wouldn't have been trapped if he had done what he said, if he was trustworthy. If he didn't play it. Mm-hmm. If he watched the store, yep. he wouldn't be here. 
but this is an unjust <laughs> system. Yeah, like of course, as a kid, I would have taken it, and my parents probably would have been glad. I would have taken it as, yeah, if you lie or you don't do what you're told to do or you don't obey the rules. Yeah, oh, your parents you're going to get this. stuck in the pinball machine forever. Your parents would have loved this. Mm-hmm. This is what TV tropes calls disproportionate retribution. <laughs> It's totally yeah. unfair. Because you um, consequence. They, they treat it like a moral failing yeah. that he's played this game after being told not to. And while it's not something I would do or ever have the instinct to do, it doesn't mean he deserves to be punished for all eternity, right? No. Mm-mm, Let the right. punishment fit the crime. Right. Make him mop the floors or something, Olsen. <laughs> yeah, but because we do see uh, Olsen when he walks by earlier, we see him kind of like laugh and smirk. Because he hears Ross playing the game. And he's like, good, good. All aco- like, it's as oh, if it's yes. all according to his plan. He wanted this to happen. All going to plan. Which makes him sadistic. And that's pretty dark. He's a villain. <laughs> that's pretty dark. Yeah. So now that the story's over, Gary cheekily offers the Game Dave. Boy back to Still David. Give it a go. Oh, no. I think I've outgrown this. And they toss it around. It's all yours, Until Frank. it ends back up with Gary. Um, how about you got it, Gary? Hot potato. Nobody wants it. Whoever's got the game, just make sure the game doesn't get you. Which is the same point we made before. Don't let it beat you. Night, guys. Just beat the game. The point that Gary's driving home is something that TV Tropes calls Space Whale Aesop. <laughs> Do elaborate. We've discussed Aesop's fables before. Mm-hmm. We use Aesop often mm-hmm. because there's often a moral to these dark stories, kids' mm-hmm. shows, and movies and such. This is the name they give to completely overdramatic consequences mm-hmm. for simple transgressions. Mm-hmm. The space whale, allegedly, they, they say, comes from Star Trek IV, okay. The Voyage Home. Okay. The plot of which they summarize as, don't let the whales go extinct or else an alien probe will eradicate the planet. Gotcha. <laughs> How they describe this episode is, don't get too absorbed in video games mm-hmm. or you might end up trapped inside of one. Don't be too tempted by the video games. Don't, you know, the alluring music and lights. Don't fall victim to that because Mm -hmm. you'll never get out. That's right. The addiction metaphor. And it's kind of similar to with Sophie being a distraction. Mm -hmm. Maybe how Ross can actually win the game is to crown himself. Hmm. But I don't think he ever will Mm -hmm. because he will always want to try to help Sophie. Save the princess. Save the princess. Win the game. She's super hot. He's young. (laughs) He's enthralled by her. But also, it's, it'd be really difficult to put yourself in that, that position and say, like, I would have a hard time with that. Save this other person or save myself. I just think he's too wrapped up in the logic of video games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then know. maybe the metaphor there would be like taking yourself out of it, remembering that they're all just the game. Right. And you're not. So was Sophie in the store, was she an actual customer? Because he began playing the game and then she showed up. Hmm. Do we think she was a real person? Or was she conjured by the magic of the pinball game? That's a good point, because she doesn't appear until after right. he starts playing. So I would say I would lean more toward the fact that she's part of the illusion. She's part mm-hmm. of the code. I kind of think so, because Mr. Olsen knew this kid was going to show up. He had this plan ready. Mm-hmm. Either way, Sophie is not someone trapped in the game with Ross. Right. She's not like, so. she wasn't there with him she, playing has, the game. She hasn't been recruited to like, right. yeah, do this. He doesn't have to save her to get her out of the game. He has to save himself. She's just not real. Yeah, she is part of the game. She is a distraction. I just think that he's 
never going to realize that he can save himself. Man, I definitely didn't think about that. That's pretty wild. So where do we think Steven went off to? <laughs> is he in the other I think pinball game? Mr. Olsen has him in a different game. Is he in the radio? Maybe. <gasps> I think I think that Mr. Olsen just makes a habit of test like he's made himself the executor of morality in children and he's doling out these in that wild punishments. What's his background? What's his story? I don't know. See that that's he, he was a carnival barker once upon a time in another <laughs> realm. <laughs> what if yeah, it's the same character? Yeah, this is his like This is his day job. <laughs> And at night, he goes to the basement. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I don't know. Maybe this is in the basement. Yeah, maybe it's all within the basement. <gasps> Story inception. Scareometer. Oh, God. Speaking of playing the game. I am never ready. What would you rate this episode? Hmm. It's it's tough for me. It's very difficult because as an episode, none of the visuals really scared me. Right. Which happens often. So I have to go based on more of the concept. Yep. yep. And the concept of being trapped in a game does scare me. The concept of being trapped anywhere scares me, or especially anything that's going to be eternal, as we've discussed throughout this lovely mm-hmm. and incredible season binge that we've been on. So I think to balance that out for me, I'm going to have to go in the middle and say like 4.5 to 5. Really? Okay. What about you? Just purely because of the nightmares I had. Mm-hmm. This isn't. I don't even really love this episode, but the impression it left on me as a kid I have to give it an eight. Yeah. I was going to say, I haven't really heard you talk like this about any of the other episodes. I think, I think so that's far. the highest I've given so I think far. so too. And again, I can still think of more episodes that- You consider to be scarier. Yeah. Yeah. But this one's still- Visually too. Stuck with you. But this, there's something about this one. Mm-hmm. I didn't really remember those nightmares until I watched it again. Right. And I started to think about it and I was like, oh my God, all that came from this episode. That's pretty crazy. So- that's- that's why we're here. I have to give it a super high score. I have to. I don't blame you. It's an eight. It's an eight for you. Bang the gavel. <laughs> Bang the mace. I can't believe that we've done 13 Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. 13. It's, that's season one. I, we have just dug into so much that I had no idea about. I feel like I've learned so much in this first season bench. Like, <laughs> oh you my know, God. Psychology wise. Oh yeah. Culturally. It's been a wild ride. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, we've got more where that came from. We plan to continue on, listener. If you're sad, if you are if you have come to the end of the season, Benj, and you're sad that there isn't any more Are You Afraid of the Dark content from us, don't worry. We will be covering the subsequent seasons of Are You Afraid of the Dark. We will come back for them. Absolutely. We just will. are taking a break to start a new season, binge. Yeah. You want to share Do what it is? you want to say what it is? <laughs> I don't remember if we have or not. I feel like we maybe have. No, I don't think we have. I guess we can officially tell you, listener. We've told people like here and there. Well, listener, for the first official time, mm-hmm. our second season binge will be Courage the Cowardly Dog. Hell yeah. Hopefully you didn't already know that. <laughs> We're at least going to try. We don't know yeah. how it's going to go. We don't. Because it's a very different structure. It's Yeah, it's structured very differently than Are You Afraid of the Dark, so we still have to do some work in terms of figuring out who's going to cover what and when, because the episodes are a lot shorter, but there's two per... They're a lot shorter. You know. Two segments per episode. We're working on it for you right now. Mm-hmm. And whenever we kick that off, just like we covered a lot of Nickelodeon history with Are You Afraid of the Dark, we plan to go into some Cartoon Network history. Right, yeah. We'll open that well. whole thing with uh, Cartoon Network. And I feel like that's going to serve us going forward, having done a show from each network. Yep. As we continue, because we know the role that these networks played in our childhood yep. as millennials. For sure. For sure. I can't wait. I'm pumped. Because some people are like, I'm a Nickelodeon kid. And some people are like, mm-hmm, 
I'm a Cartoon Network kid. Yeah, I, I, I would say I was a Nickelodeon kid who watched I was both. Cartoon Network shows occasionally. That's probably true for me, too. But I, I definitely loved both. Yeah. I wasn't really partial to either one. I think I was just because... I'm a Nickelodeon adult <laughs> who used to watch Cartoon Network shows. I guess that's that, that checks out. For sure. I can see that. But yeah, that's all I've got. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. For finishing off our season binge in style. For 13 episodes of that almost a, a whole full year yeah it really yeah we we weren't sure how it would all shake out when we started out listener but it's been just a little over a year mm-hmm. has it i don't remember when our first october 2nd are you afraid of the dark was okay yeah so oh well no are you afraid of the dark fr- was yeah. um november up, so we don't sound dumb november of last year so yeah it would have been it was like episode five or six mm, it was six yeah. November 6, 2021 was our first Boom. season binge episode. Damn. So yeah, it took us just over a year wow. to get 13 episodes into Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's wild. Would do again. We hope that you've enjoyed it. Please write in. Mm-hmm. Let us know how you feel. <laughs> let us know which was your favorite. Like, which is your favorite Are You Afraid of the Dark? Or which was your yeah. favorite episode that we covered? Something that you learned that you didn't already know? That'd be great. We'd like to talk with you and we'd love to hear from you. Would love that. And we'll have some Christmas content coming your way before too long, which I can't believe it's already December, Dude, personally. God. And then before you know it, it'll be 2023. Lord, don't don't even remind me. Yeah. I'm trying to live back in 2015. Same. Forever and ever. Any final thoughts? I'm out of thoughts. <laughs> no more thought thinking. My brain is dead. I'm going to go make some red beans and rice. Heck yeah. It's going to be awesome. Whoa, cool. listener. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Sure do. Follow our socials. Do the emailing. Do the stuff. Do the stuff. Send us to a friend if you enjoyed your time here. Give us five stars. If you think we're five star worthy. All five. Please. Four is okay. Four would be fine. I'd, I can do that. But I'm kind of a perfectionist, so mm-hmm. five stars would be just amazing. Yeah. Can you tell we're bad at this? We bring it up all the time, but we this is not how we yeah. like to operate. So we're doing the podcast stuff that they yeah. say to do. You guys keep it super cool. Go play some video games. Yeah, go play some games. But don't get too absorbed, or you might get absorbed. At least don't trust any Mr. Olsons that you meet. Don't trust any old guys. <laughs> Not to discriminate against old guys. Oh my God. Bye, y'all. Bye. See you next time. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>